Chapter forty four of the Complete Works of Brand the Iconoclast, Volume One, by William Cowper Brand. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brian Keenan. Chapter forty four The Professional Reformer. This is preeminently the era of the Reformer and there are few things, great or small, upon which he has not tried his Archimedean lever with more or less effect. Progress should ever be the shibboleth of man, but progress and improvement are not always synonyms. When a man becomes possessed of an idea that differs materially from the ideas of mankind in general, when he takes issue with the cumulative wisdom of a world he knows not how many ages old, simple modesty would suggest that, before arrogating to himself superior discernment, he inquire diligently whether he is really a philosopher or a fool. When a man takes issue with the world, the chances are as one to infinity that he is wrong. Since man's appearance upon the earth, a great many sages have graced it, and the present generation is heir of all the ages. Its judgment is grounded upon the net result of thousands of years of careful study and costly experiment and it is much safer to trust to it than to newborn theories. Occasionally a man appears who can add to the general stock of wisdom, but such men are seldom conscious of the fact that they are wiser than the world they live in, seldom consider that they have a special call to embark in a radical reform crusade. They know that society is an organism, not a machine, and that it cannot be violently transformed, any more than a man can be changed into a demigod, or a monkey into a mastodon. They realize that the old order changeth, yielding place to new. But they also realize that the change must be slow in order to be healthy. Nearly every change that the world has witnessed has been slowly, almost imperceptibly wrought. Even all governments that have stood the test of time were the work of time. The present government of England has been built up almost imperceptibly, and the Constitution of the United States is but a differentiation of Magna Carta, not a new and violent birth. It is much safer to change the old order of human thought and action by evolutionary than by revolutionary methods. It has been the custom of society for many ages to make woman the custodian of her own virtue. But in this age of reformers it has been discovered that this is a grievous mistake. According to the new school of morals, woman is not competent to distinguish between right and wrong, and even wives of mature years are sometimes led astray by fell destroyers, whom the injured husband feels in duty bound to chase around the world, if need be, with a gatling gun. Instances where designing villains have invaded the sanctity of the home are multiplying, and while the world is not ready to forgive the erring woman, it is daily asked to anathematize her paramour, and stand between her husband and the penitentiary, should his marksmanship prove successful. In other words, the world is asked to regard every man that a woman may chance to meet as her guardian angel, to place her honor in his keeping instead of her own, to crucify him should he not prove as indifferent as Adonis, as chaste as Joseph. Truly this is very complimentary to man, but quite the reverse to woman. It would substitute male for female virtue, and place the sanctity of the home 
at the mercy of strangers. Unquestionably, all men should be pure, but they are not. In fact, the pure man is the exception and not the rule. Every man who takes unto himself a wife must know this. He knows that he places his honor in the keeping of the woman, not in the keeping of his fellow men. He knows that she can live as pure as Diana if she elects to do so, that if she does not so choose, she will have no difficulty in finding companions in crime. He does know, as does the world, that no man will attempt to lead her astray so long as her deportment is such as becomes a true wife, that no wolf in sheep's clothing will ever find his way into the fold without her assistance. It will not do. Every sane woman who has arrived at the age of discretion is the guardian of her own honor. To relieve her of this responsibility is to insult her intelligence. To divide the responsibility with men of the world is to place her on the same moral plane with the roué and the courtesan, ready to err should opportunity offer. It is a trifle strange that those good people who value female purity so highly that they would reform every roué in Christendom to secure it, have little or nothing to say about the chief cause of hymeneal infidelity, loveless marriages. No woman who really loves her husband can be untrue to him. Duty and inclination point the same way. But if a woman does not love her husband, she will, in nearly every instance, love someone else. She may never manifest this illicit affection by word or look. She may not admit it even to her own heart. But no matter how strongly armed she be in honesty, she stands within the pale of danger. From the questionable act of bartering, according to due forms of law and with priestly blessing, an attractive person for wealth or social position is a comparatively easy step to practices no more reprehensible, but wanting the sanction of society. Is it at all strange that an impulsive young woman, whose parents have persuaded her to marry a man she cordially detests, and who is perhaps four times her age, should conclude that moral codes are chiefly fashionable cant, and that a pretense of observing them is all that is really necessary? While the reformers are busy saving the world, it is strange that they do not devise some method of checking the decided misogamistic tendency of the young men of today. Marriages are becoming decidedly unpopular with them, and the result is that thousands of young men, who should be model husbands, are living lives of but quasi-respectability. Thousands of young women who should be honored wives and happy mothers are thrown upon their own resources, forced to choose between virtue and rags, and silks and shame. The latter soon learn that honest poverty brings almost as complete social ostracism, almost as much contumely, as dishonest finery, and, despairing of ever becoming true men's wives, too many of them become false men's mistresses. Here is work in abundance for the reformer. To it, O oh, ye saviors of the world! Teach the young men of the land that marriage is a thing to be desired, even though they be not millionaires, and no heiress smiles upon them. The true reformer will not wait for some grand mission some mighty crusade to call him to action. The world is full of wrong which needs no preternatural prescience to discover, fraud which bears its name boldly upon its very face. The true reformer will denounce fraud and falsehood wherever found, 
will assail the wrong no matter how strongly entrenched it be in prescriptive right. But he will make haste slowly to change the fundamental principles upon which society is founded. He will proceed cautiously, modestly, until he does know, so far as aught is given to human wisdom to know, that it is a condition and not a theory with which he is dealing, that he can point the world to new truths whose recognition and adoption will make better the condition of his species. Then, if he be a true man, he will speak, not in humble whispers, lest he offend potentates and powers, not ambiguously, that he may escape the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, but in clarion tones, like another Peter the Hermit, who, bearing all, swerving neither to the right nor to the left, preached the crusade of the Holy Sepulchre, till at last his words of fire burned through dull understandings, into cold hearts, and steel-clad Europe quivered like a million globules of quicksilver, then massed beneath his ragged standard. End of chapter 44 The Professional Reformer Recording by Brian Keenan